Welcome everyone, my name is Josiah McGee and I'm the Associate Director of Alumni Education here at Passages. Today's episode of the Passages Voice will be celebrating Women's History Month and joining me to help unpack this topic are two very good friends. Rima Jabour is our Senior Developer working in Passages IT. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Communications from Moody Bible Institute. And Tana DeWitt graduated from Union University in Tennessee and serves as our Media and Communications Program Coordinator as well. She is a, a recent hire actually, we're very excited to have her. And today we'll be discussing three women from the Bible, kind of celebrating their histories, talking about their stories, and discussing what we can learn from each of them. To get us started, I'd like to pose a question to both of you. Why do you think it is important to study the stories of women in the Bible specifically? So this is Rima here. One of the primary reasons why I think it's so important to study the women in Scripture, um, especially as women... Um, living in this world today so much in society and so much um, media outlets news around us try to tell women what our identity should be and try and tell us how we should be um, as women as females um, and all of that stuff and i think that by studying women in scripture seeing the parts of their life that god has praised and seeing the parts of their lives that um, God has corrected and using them as the foundation for our identity to use them to define what it means to be a woman and a Christian in this world and in the society today. Um, I think that it would help us very much to be able to um, identify what lies Satan is trying to tell us as women um, through the world and to be able to identify how God wants to define us as women um, through the scriptures and through the people he chose to have in there. I love that. Matana? Yeah, I love that too. Um, yeah, especially love what you said about um, not just like what it looks like to be a woman, but what it looks like to be a woman and a Christian. Because it's a very unique combination. And especially, um, you know, throughout scripture we see characters um, in the Bible, men and women alike, um, and there's a lot of stories in scripture, and we, we look at those, and we study those, and we use those as like a, a baseline to understand what it looks like to serve God and to live life um, for Him on this earth, and not every example we see is a good example. Some examples are bad examples, and they're lessons of what not to do. And some examples are good examples, and we can model our lives after those. And I think, um, just like any other characters in the Bible, the women in the Bible are very important to um, study and learn from. Um, there's lessons there that apply to our lives, even though those you know events and those stories happened so long ago. Um, you know, salt the the uh, impudence and. Um, Proverbs Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun so the basic you know instincts and patterns of humanity we can see today just like we see in scripture and I think it's important for us to look at the women in the Bible for that reason I agree so let's go ahead and do that shall we let's do it we have I think three characters that we want to talk about today so we want to talk about Deborah from the period of the judges Ruth and Mary so two Old Testament one New Testament kind of woman character and I'd like to just kind of talk about each of these and hear what you admire the most about each of them, the lessons that you've learned from them. We'll start with Deborah. And Matana, if you don't mind, can you give us a brief description of kind of Deborah's story, who she is, and what you admire the most about her? Yes. 
So, Deborah is actually one of my absolute favorite characters in the Bible. Um, basically, her story is um, starts with her leadership position. So, she was the only female judge in, um, in the Old Testament during the period of time uh, whenever the Israelites were governed by judges. This is before Saul became king, before David was king. This is a period of time where um, the Israelites were kind of establishing their government in their new promised land, um, and Deborah was one of the only, well, she was the only woman to occupy that position. So, during, um, so it's in Judges 4 through 5 that the story takes place, and we, we learn about the character um, of Deborah, and basically we learn about her because Israel is under, is coming under attack um, by King Sisera, um, I'm sorry, not King Sisera, by, um, Sisera, who was the commander of um, the army of the, Can of the Canaanites, and they were coming against the Israelites um, to attack them, take their land, etc. Um, and during this time, Deborah was currently not just a judge, but she was also a prophetess, which was a unique combination because not only was she in a position to govern um, the people in a political way, but she was also in a spiritual leadership position where she was kind of serving as the voice of God during that time. Um, she would hear from God and then relay what God had shown to her to the people um, whenever they needed advice or direction. So it says in Judges 4, verse 4, Now Deborah the prophetess, the wife of Abedoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah, a tree named after her, which is really cool if I ever have something like that happen to me. I will, have, um, I will think that I have arrived in life. Um, anyway, verse 5. And she would sit under the, under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jacob's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, then I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and was with Barak to Kadesh. Now I want to actually make a comment here because a lot of people kind of hate on Barak. They're like, oh, you know, help them a woman. Um, we'll get um, to, that, to that in a moment. In a moment. 
So basically, basically what happened, happened is, and if you've been to Israel with us, with us um, the new one, 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 the left. And there's a small mountain of a hill, rounded, rounded hill. That's the one, and that's where this battle happens. So so basically, the army takes up the army and delivers everything, and they want to go and fight this battle. Well, they win the battle, the major army, Sisera, escapes. He escapes and ends up a house of Israel. 
And I think this is really important because, as we can see, the culture was beginning to decline, society was hurting, and she rose up as a mother in Israel. And I think it's really important for, for women to recognize that there is a place, there's always a place for them to serve, there are places for them to lead, that God has called um, each woman, each man, each woman, but as we're talking about women here specifically, um, that each woman has a specific call in her life. And that there's always going to be a place for her to step up and embrace that call. And that there are people um, in her realm of influence who are depending on her to obey God's call for her life. Regardless of what sacrifices she might have to make. Regardless of what opposition there might be. Regardless of what people that may stand against her stepping into that leadership position. Stepping into that calling. Stepping into whatever role God's called her to. Regardless of the people who may um, say that she's wrong for doing that. Um, who may try to challenge that, there will always be a place for that because the grace of God um, was with Deborah and it's with every woman who will choose to obey um, the call of God, whatever that looks like for our lives. So anyway, I really, really love Deborah. I love that story. Um, I don't know if, if I covered it the way that you intended. No, that's <laughs> it was just great. Time. That's great. Okay. I want to ask Reba if you have anything to add before we talk about the next person on our list. Um, I'll just add a little bit. Um, right now, a lot of a lot of times in this world, especially as a woman in leadership, things can get really hard. Um, specifically in terms of like how women can get into roles of leadership, and a lot of times the world tries to set us up saying that we need to be catty or we need to be sly or we need to do things that are not necessarily biblical in terms of forms of leadership. Um. And Deborah is definitely one of those people that we can look to of what it means to be a woman in leadership in a position where it might not, there might not be other female leaders to, to look to or to lean on or to anything. Um, but that doesn't mean that you are without leadership, without support. She still had the support of her husband. She was married. Um, it doesn't say that there was anything wrong in her marriage. So it's probably is safe to assume that her husband supported her, especially because God valued um, the marriage unit. Um, um, because God supported the marriage unit, um, they were working together to ensure that her role as prophetess and as judge continued to um, move along. And then she also had the previous judges um, to, to rely on as well. Um, there's no reason why her form of judgment needed to be any different than um, anyone else in the past. Um, and she held her, her position in dignity and in honor. Um, and I just admire her for being able to, to be honest and to be herself um, and to be true to the God she served rather than true to the humans that relied on her re leadership. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Ruth a little bit. And this is someone that, Rima, you've mentioned. You really love her story. So I'm going to ask you if you can kind of introduce her for us. And she actually has her own book of the Bible. And mm -hmm. She's a very important person, obviously, a character. So can you kind of give us a, a brief description of it? What is her story? And mm -hmm. why does she have her own book in the Bible? And who is this person? So, first of all, before I start with a summary of Ruth, I want to t 
talk a little bit about why she became my favorite. Mm -hmm. um, as during my like salvation story and stuff like that, one of my favorite names ever is Naomi. And um, I was wondering one day, like, hey, I wonder if Naomi is a, is a name in the Bible. I looked it up. I hadn't read any book by, like, from front to back. Found out that Naomi was in the Bible, in the book of Ruth. Ruth was the first book of the Bible I read from start to finish. And since then have read it way, way, way too many times. <laughs> um, and I just adore this book because... Because of its uniqueness, but also because of Ruth herself. So the story of the book of Ruth is um, the husband of Naomi during a famine, during the time of judges. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head who was the judge at this time, but there was a famine in Israel. He decided to take his family um, and his wife and move to Moab. There, his sons married Moabite women. First of all, Israel was called to marry any other Israelites or other Jewish people. They were not called to marry um, Moabites or other pagans, um, mostly because when you get married, the religion and the faith of your spouse affects your faith. And as followers of um, God, they were not to introduce other pagan religions into their, into their lives. Um, but the husbands and uh, um, Naomi's husband and her two sons ended up dying. And after they died, Naomi had decided to go back to Israel because she heard things had been um, getting a little better. She had a support system there. She had family. She had roots. So she decided to go back home. Well, on her way home, her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and um, Orpah, um, she told them to go back to their to their own parents and then possibly remarry someone from their own people. Orpah decided to leave, but Ruth, um, who by that point had learned about God, learned about the God whom the Israelites served, decided that she would stay with Naomi and serve Naomi and support Naomi as her mother-in-law. But not just that, she chose to make God her God which meant she was leaving her family. She was leaving her support system. She was leaving everything she knew and trusted. And we don't even know if she ever saw her parents again or saw anybody she knew again. They did not have email. They had camels and carrier pigeons. So for all we knew, she never saw her support system again. And yet, because of her love for God, Ruth, Ruth trusted, trusted her, her mother-in-law, mother -in -law, and, and so one day, one day, mother-in-law found out that Ruth had made, had had a transaction with Boaz. Ruth trusted 
consisted of his mother and mother in law, that eventually led to her marriage to Boaz. And Ruth's faithfulness to both mother and mother in law, to her people, and most importantly, to God, grant her the blessings to be one of one of you. Not just not just people, but one of the one of the women, women, Gentile women, women, women that to be named in the lineage of Christ. Christ. She um, is, a, is, a, is a direct ancestor to David and to Jesus, Jesus Christ. 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 Um, uh, and that is that honor, honor that is not granted to many people, people, and is definitely not granted to very many Gentiles. She is she is she truly is a woman of valor, a woman of honor. Was faced with so much so much hardship out of our love, love, and to our God, follow him and leads in the unknown and found himself in the place of honor, honor and grace. And grace. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, amazing. So, so, so I'll ask you to refer to the one of the one Identity that God gave her, and that's that undefined who she was. 
patient, and I think one of the reasons that she was able to be so strong is that at the end of the day, God was her foundation. She, she learned about who he was. She learned about what he's done to her people. She learned his laws. And when your identity is so tied closely to the identity that only God defines for you, then there is nothing that any man, woman, or child can say to you to shake that identity. Because when the God of heaven and earth says you are my child, when the God who created you, the God who called you out away from your blood family into the unknown says I will protect you, then nothing a human person can say can change that. Because when you've seen what the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, then what is a human person going to do to you? Because they're going to die and they can't even control their own death. Whereas God, who is the reason for your existence, protected you and guided you, her life could have ended up so much worse. She was a widow in a foreign land. She could have ended up in prostitution. She could have ended up as a beggar. She could have ended up in so many different things. And yet, she ended up in the lineage of Christ because she trusted God and did not let the words of man shake her foundation. Preach. <laughs> I tell you, I could preach about Ruth all day long. Like Powerful stuff. She, she, like, a little, it makes me a little bit sad that people only ever use her quote um, that she says to Ruth just during marriage so ceremonies. Because I'm like, look, this is this is a great thing for married couples to like say to each other. But at the end of the day, that vow was not between Ruth and her husband. That was a vow Ruth was making to God in front of her mother-in-law. She was making a vow saying. Because, God, I will follow you. Because, God, I will be loyal to you. And if I do not do any of this stuff, God will be the one who punishes me. She wasn't putting herself before her mother-in-law. She wasn't putting herself in front of her husband. She was putting herself in front of really the only person that could bring real judgment to her and lasting judgment to her. And she, like, her words showed just how much she understood who God was. Because if you know who God is, you are not willingly putting yourself to judgment in front of him. And yet she was so sure of him and his love and his protection and his provision for her that she had no qualms saying, I will follow you wherever you go, and God alone can judge me. Like, there is nothing more powerful than this vow because it is a vow made to God. Yeah. And there was something different about her than Orpah because Orpah had initially said that she was going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. She initially said, you know, Naomi, I'm going to come with you too. And one of her name, Naomi said, no, you guys go home. Orpah said, Orpah and Ruth both said, no, do not entreat me to leave you. Mm-hmm. And yet Orpah could be convinced to go back, but Ruth could not be. Because so there Ruth's had to be something bigger. Yeah. It was more, it was bigger than just Naomi. It went all the way to God. Like she had, she must have had a revelation of, of God's heart of who he was that enabled her to be able to be so unwavering in her commitment. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think the the last person on our list to really kind of personifies in many ways represents these, these same lessons. I mean, if anyone had reason to be worried about what the world said of her, mm-hmm. to be worried about shame or criticism, and yet 
relied solely upon her faith in in God and her obedience, her her stubborn <laughs> insistence upon being obedient even when she she doubted at times to be Mary. Mm. You know, Mary was a, a teenage girl who is a virgin. She's not married, and then you know, the angel Gabriel comes to her and says that she would you know, give birth to the Son of God, and she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. She she becomes pregnant with the Son of God, which is in and of itself amazing. But you have to remember that she's not married, mm. <laughs> and in that culture, that's an incredibly shameful concept. And yet she accepted the responsibility to be the mother of the Messiah, which is absolutely incredible. So we have a few minutes left. I want to hear from both of you. And what do you think about Mary? Because personally, I think her story is amazing that mm. she could accept that level of responsibility to be the mother of the Son of God. What do you think? Wow. Yeah. I think one thing that always has stood out to me about her, um, actually two things. The first being that she, whenever the angel Gabriel came to her and basically said, this is what's going to happen to you, she didn't think twice. She said, let it be done to me according to your word. So basically, let everything you've said that's going to happen be done to me. Like, let that, let that. She had to know the consequences. Yes, she had to have, you know, like she's, she's very, you know, she's probably what, 14, 15 years old. That's what a lot of historians say, like probably the average age would have been at that time for a you know a woman in her position but she's she's young but she understands her culture she understands her people she understands who God is because she's obviously been taught and exposed enough to God and up until this point to be able to say whenever the angel comes to her yes whatever like all that you're saying I like I will be obedient to that I am for that I accept that pretty much um and then maybe you, like you could probably speak some more of like about the in between. But I'm gonna like skip over to um, whenever Jesus is born, and they are bringing him to the temple um, to present him to God. There is a man there, I think, by the name of Simon. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Okay. I want to make sure that I'm getting my details right. <laughs> um, who tells Mary? He he prophesies over Jesus and over Mary, but he specifically tells Mary that a sword would pierce her heart. And I can't imagine, as a mother, living um, my whole life, raising this child, knowing that there might be something in the future that happens to him, something in the future that's going to literally like shatter my world. And yet she, she it's, the Bible says that she takes all these things that she's been told and she ponders them in her heart and she holds on to them and she, she doesn't react to them in the moment. She doesn't make any rash decisions or actions. She just takes all these things and she stores them up inside. And she she thinks about it. She ponders it. Um, she meditates on it. She prays about it. Um, and I think that that is so important um, as just kind of a lesson to take as you know as as Christians as women to um, to take things to God to think about them to ponder them to not make rash decisions or or rash conclusions based on what we've been told or what we're hearing um but to really just be willing to to sit with with the realities that we face to sit with the things Mm -hmm. that we hear and that we're told like whenever it comes to scripture to really sit with scripture to ponder it 
to think about those things um, and to watch as God uses those things in our lives to bring about good. Because even though a sword did pierce her heart, that's not how things stayed. You know, Jesus, obviously, we all know, he rose from the dead. Um, the story is still going and has already been written uh, to the end. But the part that Mary played in that story didn't end in tragedy, um, though tragedy was a part of it. So um, I think it's amazing just from start to finish the way that she, you know, for over 30 years, um, played such a big part in the story, even though it was it was a part that was played in the everyday. It, it didn't have like these huge climactic moments like we often picture our lives as being, but it was the the part that she played in the story was in the everyday care that she gave her son and raising him and in um, helping him to become the man that he needed to be as the savior of the world, <laughs> which is just huge. The thing I admire a lot about Mary, on top of everything, like you said, like just 100%, um, we don't have for fact, word for word, saying that she studied scripture or spent time studying scripture, but her life is literally the fruit of the Spirit. Like it shows exactly that she did study scripture and she knew scripture 100%. That's good most people trembled and were fearful and people hid and cried and everything when they saw angels. And though she may have feared, she knew that this was an angel of the God and something of God was going to come out of this presence. That doesn't come from just a random thing. That comes from being so deep into scripture, so deep into the word of God, so deep in your identity of who God is that when you see God working, you know right away that this is God in my life, that this is him doing something in my life. Because the Bible and scripture, both then and now, is living and pierces our hearts and pierces our souls and makes us see God in this world, in the faces of humanity, in the faces of angels, in the faces of nature like nothing else before. It is the glasses through which we see God working both inside of us and in this world as a whole. And in Mary, we see her exemplify that like nothing else. We see that in her response to the angels. We see that in her response to Joseph. We see that in her response to, uh, I think it was Simeon or Simon? One of them. Either way, yeah. <laughs> um, but even more specifically, we see that in the response of the Magnificat when she went to go visit Elizabeth. The Magnificat is filled with so much deep theology and so much identity of who God is. Like if you guys have time, um, just go and read the Magnificat thinking from a perspective of a child who doesn't know the future, doesn't, I don't think she fully understood what it meant that the Savior was coming to earth. Because even the best, rab uh, best rabbis and Pharisees all thought that the Savior was coming to rule and coming with a sword and coming to fight. She may not have understood what the Savior was going to do, but she understood who the Savior is mm -hmm. and that she was carrying the Savior. And so even though she didn't know what tomorrow held, she knew what the past held and she knew that in God's hands that the enemies of Israel would fall and anyone who stood with Israel would rise with them. 
And these are things that she, like are littered throughout her Magnificat. And we, both men and women, are called to have the same foundation and understanding of our scripture. I, for one, like, I'm not good at memorizing verses. I'm not good at memorizing word for word. Like, but so much of that is missed. Like, you don't have to memorize word for word. She didn't sit there quoting from Ezekiel or from the prophets or from whatever, but she quoted truths that were ingrained in her heart. And as Christians today, we are called to have the same truths ingrained in our heart so that if someone comes before us asking who God is, we can say more than just whatever can be found on a pamphlet because people aren't looking for a pamphlet when they talk to a human. They're looking to see God in us. And that's what Mary showed in her life. That's what she showed in the Magnificat. That's what she showed when she was at the cross. And 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 Jesus gave her to, to John to take care of. She was there till the bitter end um, because she, she cared for her son, but even more, she loved her God. Mm. Um, and, and she is someone that both men and women need to exemplify and to follow because there's nothing more valuable than having scripture so deeply written on your heart that you can spit out something like the Magnificat just mm -hmm. out of the blue. Yeah. She had the Holy Spirit. That is very true. But that kind of truth needs to be so ingrained in all of us that no matter what lies Satan throws at us and no matter what lies this world tries to throw at us, we can throw truth right back at them and say, you know what? I may not know the chapter and the verse, but I know for a fact that my God is honest and my God is truthful and my God is this and my God will protect me. And no matter what lies you might tell me, they hold no weight against our God. Yeah, that's so good. Oh man, I love that. And just thinking about, you know, the term like woman of God, like being a woman of God, that's, I was thinking the other day, you know, if I could be known as one thing by the end of my life, like what would I want someone to think of me as? And I remember that it came to mind like woman of God. If I could just be known as, as a woman of God, then no matter what I do, no matter what I contribute, no matter um, where I go in life or what I accomplish, that will be, you know, the greatest legacy that I could ever leave. Mm. And I think that that these women, you know, Deborah, Ruth, Mary, that they all exemplified what it meant to be a woman of God. Because at the end of the day, they weren't after their own um, glory, their own ambitions, their own yeah. glory. They were after um, God's heart, and it was as simple as that. And the things that they did and the things that they accomplished and the things that they are known for was a direct result of their pursuit of God. Mm. Um, and that's just a reminder to me that, you know, to make sure that my priorities are in the right place, to make sure that more than anything else, that more than anything else I'm thinking about or focusing on or giving my attention and efforts to, that I am putting him and putting the, the, the pursuit of, um, knowledge and understanding of his heart and of being more connected to him every single day that I am making sure that that comes first before anything else. Amen. Mm. I love that. Does anyone have anything to add before we wrap up? I mean, I could be speaking for hours longer. I don't think you have time <laughs> for additions. All right. How about this? I want to say a couple of thank yous. One to, to both of you. Thank you so much for doing this. You know, I've really enjoyed hearing from two of the women in the office both of you i think are very godly women 
we're surrounded by many of them in the office, but thank you, you two, especially for sitting down with me today and talking about this topic. Thank you to the audience as well for taking the time to listen to this episode and to think about these ideas to celebrate the history of, of some amazing women in the Bible and just think about some of the lessons that they can teach us. If you have any questions, I would recommend two things. One, be sure to read their stories in Scripture. Go straight to the source. It's the best way to learn more about them. And second, if you'd like more resources, feel free to reach out to us at alumni at passagesisrael.org. We'll be happy to help you out. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. Hope you have a great day.